This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Luke chapter 1? Luke chapter 1. We've been making our way through the Scriptures, and every time we get to this season, we pause from that and uh, move into the Christmas stories, and we're going to do that today and all the way through Christmas Eve. What does it mean to be blessed? The word blessed gets thrown around quite a bit in Christian circles, doesn't it? Uh, Often it's just another word for rich. Someone materially and financially secure. Other times, uh, we use it to refer to the fact that things are going really well. Kind of a Christian version of being lucky. The odds have been in your favor. I once heard a well-known TV preacher describe being blessed as getting a really close parking space at the mall. That was the favor of God. Now look, part of me, I know I laugh too, But part of me can relate to things going well for you at the mall. Several years ago, I made the mistake of going to a very large mall uh, on a Saturday in December. Those of you who laugh have experienced this. I spent an hour, an hour, stuck in traffic in the outer loop of the mall's parking lot trying to get out. At one point, the, the, the words from Hotel California by the Eagles just kept running through my head. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. So, I can understand how one might think that going, things going well for you at the mall is a blessing. Uh, in the Midwest, we don't really use this phrase, but in the South, you'll hear the words, bless his heart. yes. But when someone from the South uses that phrase, bless his heart, let me tell you something, there's no blessing in those words. What it really means is he's an idiot. (laughs) Well, the statement, blessed and highly favored, is found in Luke 1, when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her that she will be pregnant with Jesus. The fact that Mary is blessed is a theme in this section. Mary then composes a song, and in this song defines for us what it means to be blessed. The song paints a picture of what it means to be blessed. So I have a question for you. Are you blessed and highly favored? Many of us have no idea what it means to be blessed and highly favored. So let's look at it. Luke chapter 1, I'm going to start reading in verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill His promises to her. 
And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich empty away. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. We're going to ponder a couple of things in regard to this blessed life today. We're going to look at first the true nature of blessing and second, what it takes to live as one blessed. The true nature of blessing and what it takes to live as one blessed. First, the true nature of blessing. So this word blessed in connection with Mary is used several times in this section. Elizabeth, one of Mary's relatives, exclaims in verse 42, Blessed are you, Mary, among women. And again in verse 45, Blessed is she who has believed. In verse 48, Mary says, From now on all generations will call me blessed. Now when this statement was made, we ought to think about the situation Mary was in. Humanly speaking, it wasn't a good situation. Humanly speaking, her reputation had been irrevocably ruined, at least among her own people, her own time, her own generation, her own culture. A teenage girl, pregnant, out of wedlock, in that culture was a serious scandal. Now add to that, she was engaged to a man who lived some distance away. Many likely speculated the baby wasn't his. So, in her own context, she's probably considered a loose girl who had cheated on a very good and gracious fiancé. And by the way, the angel didn't tell Joseph about this pregnancy until sometime later, months later in fact, which means Mary would have had to endure this almost all by herself. And very likely, the stained reputation would have stayed with her for the rest of her life. So think about this. She had a reputation that was ruined. How? By God. God did all this to her. He didn't have to do it this way. He could have sent an angel to get everybody in the know on what was happening with Mary and the baby, but God chose to do it in a way that ruins her reputation. Now, would you have looked at Mary and thought to yourself, now there's a woman who's blessed. Let's add to this. She's very poor. Indications are she was the poorest of the poor. Here's how we know that. Jewish law stipulated that when you had your firstborn son, only your firstborn son, you had to offer a lamb as a thanksgiving offering back to God. Nearly every Jewish family could do this, but the law made an exception for the poorest among them. If they couldn't afford a lamb, they could give two turtle doves, which was essentially pennies. So when Mary and Joseph offered their Thanksgiving offering, they offered two turtle doves. 
which means they were on the lowest, among the lowest economic status of anybody in their society. So be honest, if you were looking at the externals, would you have called her blessed? No. She has not been given a close parking space at the mall of her life. But look at her posture before God. Look at her attitudes towards life. Just listen to some of these phrases that she uses. She says, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. The Mighty One has done great things for me. She says all these glowing, positive, inspiring things, but nothing has changed in her circumstances. She's still poor. She's still pregnant out of wedlock. She's still scandalized. The whispers about her make their way through her village like wildfire. So when she makes these statements in the present tense, she is not rejoicing in what God has given to her. She is rejoicing in what God has become to her. At this point in her life, Christ in her is her only exaltation. Christ in her is her only fullness. Christ in her is her only sustenance. Look at verses 48 and 49 again. She says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Why? Why? Well, she answers it. Verse 49 starts with a little word, for. She's going to tell us why all generations will call her blessed. Here's what she says. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. What great things? What great things? As far as the externals of her life are concerned, God's not, not done much for her. The great thing she is referring to here must be strongly connected to the Savior with whom she was now physically and spiritually united. See, Christ in her is her only exaltation. Christ in her is her only fullness. Christ in her is her only sustenance. It's the true nature of blessing. So if you lost your job tomorrow, and you hit the skids economically, could you still sing, my soul glorifies the Lord? If your reputation was dragged through the mud through no fault of your own, could you still sing, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior? If the externals of your life became unbearably draining, and maybe they are, could you still sing, the Mighty One has done great things for me? Put it differently, the source of Mary's joy is in her circumstances because her circumstances give her really nothing to be joyful about. But the source of her joy is now her union with Christ. The Apostle Paul never uses the term Christian in any of his letters, ever, ever. We use it all the time. So how does Paul get across the concept of a Christian? Let me show it to you. Romans 8 verse 1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
Let me give you another one, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. This is how the Apostle Paul and many of the New Testament writers use or define what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who is in Christ. If you are a Christian, you are in Christ. You have been united to Christ. All the merits and privileges he earned through the life he lived perfectly are accredited to you because of your union with him. Because of your union with him, God no longer sees our countless sins and failures, but he sees instead the righteousness of Christ. The source of Mary's joy is not the externals of her life, but her union with Christ. Rankin Wilburn tells a story. He writes, I have a friend who used to be Mickey Mouse. She was the person inside the costume at Disneyland. Reflecting on her time in Mickey, she said, growing up I thrived on behavior modification. I thought, if I'm good, I will be loved. If I'm bad, I will be rejected. I learned to wear a mask, not to show what was really going on. My core beliefs were that I was not worthy, accepted, or loved, so I would clamor and manufacture ways to elicit the positive responses I wanted from people. When I put on Mickey's costume, I got that positive response times a hundred. Rankin commenting on this, he said she felt safe and loved, covered in Mickey's righteousness. often wondered what life is like for people like those who dress up as Mickey or some other character. It's a human being underneath, and I would bet many of them would be able to relate to Mary. The externals of their lives are a mess, enduring hardships through no fault of their own, struggling financially, whatever it is. Being in Mickey may be their only exaltation. Their only fullness, their only sustenance. So, how much more those who are in Christ? American Idol was one of the most popular TV shows of all time. Uh, but for the contestants, I can't imagine how nerve wracking it would have been. A single missed note could cost you the competition, but winning would change your life. It was interesting to watch this. At the end of each season, when the competition was over and the winner had been crowned, what did the winner do? The winner took up the microphone and sang one more time, right? But she was no longer singing to win, was she? She was singing because she had won. It was no longer a contest. She had nothing more to prove. She had nothing more to earn. Instead, the chosen and honored performer could sing with all her heart, delighting in her gifts for the benefit of others. This is just a taste of the joy that is ours when we're united to Christ. We could be surrounded by the backbiting whispers of people. We could have people attempt to ruin our reputations or degrade the externals of our lives. But in the end, that doesn't do a thing. 
In Christ, you're chosen. In Christ, you're honored. In Christ, you have nothing more to prove, regardless of how bad your circumstances may be. Christ in you is your only exaltation. Christ in you is your only fullness. Christ in you is your only sustenance. This is the nature of true blessing. Second, what it takes to live as one blessed. Now, I would hope that when you consider Mary's circumstances, a teenager, pregnant out of wedlock, poor, reputation sullied, scandalized, but still magnifying the Lord, still rejoicing in God the Savior, still praising God for the great things that He's done for her, I would hope that we all would want to live like that. If we found ourselves in dire straits economically, if we had our reputations dragged through the mud through no fault of our own, if we found the externals of our lives dashed against the rocks, we would still want to demonstrate a spiritual posture like that of Mary. But how? How does that happen? Well, in addition to her union with Christ, there are two other things that we see in her song that shed light on how she lives as one blessed. Two other indicators in the text that show us how she lives as one blessed. Let me point them out. First is giving attention to God's worthiness. Giving attention to God's worthiness. There is nothing in this song about Mary's personal worthiness. Even though God himself says that there is worthiness about her, she does not mention it at all. In fact, there's very little in the song about her. A couple of lines, that's it. The rest of the song functions like a big, bright spotlight shining on, on God, on his character, on his actions, on his worthiness. She says, God is my Savior. So Mary sees herself as someone who's guilty, unworthy, empty, hungry, Weak, in need of mercy, in need of help and strength, in need of a Savior. Both through self-counseling and through counseling others over the years, it's become apparent that one of the biggest hurdles to us living as though we are blessed is what happens in between our ears. If your thoughts... Every thought you had could be transcribed onto a sheet of paper. Okay? If your thoughts could be transcribed onto a sheet of paper and then you were to read that transcription, who is the main character? Who is the main character of the story that's gone onto the paper? It becomes insurmountably difficult to rejoice in God my Savior when the main character of my thoughts is me. Mary is showing us the way to live is blessed in how she makes God the main character of her thoughts. What makes it possible to live as one blessed is when our mental energy and our heart's affection is directed towards God's worthiness. And here's how you know this is happening. It's not just taking note of what you're thinking about or what's rolling through your head. We know we're on the right track when our conversations with each other make the shift 
from complaining about what's wrong with us or other people to magnifying what's right with God. You want to live as one blessed. You know you're on the right track. When in your conversations with other people, the conversation drifts away from complaining about what's wrong with us and other people towards what's right with God. Then you know you're on the right track. Giving attention to God's worthiness is the first thing we see Mary doing in living the blessed life. Second thing we see her doing is embracing unpleasant externals as an opportunity. Embracing unpleasant externals as an opportunity. Keep in mind that God is at the helm of the story. He's steering the ship. He decides when to visit Mary. He decides when she will conceive through the Holy Spirit. He decides when to let Joseph in on what's happening. He decides to keep others out of the loop. And through his orchestration of the events of this story, he is, from a human standpoint, creating more problems for the poor, engaged, now pregnant teenager. But she is getting a much richer blessing. So, what if God ordains a breakdown in the externals of your life? in order to give you a much greater blessing. Not a blessing in the currency in which what, what you lost, but a different blessing, a different kind of currency. What if God ordains failure in your life in order to give you a much richer blessing? See, the externals of Mary's life were a mess, but she lived as though blessed by setting her sights above and beyond the externals of her life. Maybe a deterioration in the externals of your life is setting the stage for us learning to glorify the Lord, to rejoice in God our Savior, to sing of the great things He's done for us by uniting us to Christ. Has God degraded the externals of your life? There's the question. Has He done that? So that there is nothing else that could possibly be the source of your joy other than Him. Living as one blessed requires we embrace unpleasant externals as an opportunity to shift the source of our joy from our circumstances to our union with Christ. C.S. Lewis touched on that when he said this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I think joy should function something like a smoke alarm in your life. If you don't have joy right now, think about whether or not you do. If you don't have joy right now, it's likely the source of your joy has moved from God to some lesser blessing. 
If you don't have joy in your life right now, it's very likely that the source of your joy has moved from God to some lesser blessing. Here's Mary. The worst possible circumstances for a teenager. Rejoicing. Her words here are very similar to that of the prophet Habakkuk. In Habakkuk 3, this is what he wrote. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. So every one of us this Christmas season is faced with a choice. The problem with the choice is that we don't always feel like it. But this Christmas you can choose. You can say, in Christ, I can lose all that I have because in Christ is all that I need. Let's pray. Jesus, reshape our understanding of what it means to be blessed. Remind us this Christmas season that it's so much more than our financial condition. It's so much more than our reputations. It's so much more than any other external. Help us to set our sights on rejoicing in the life You have secured for us of the union we have with You. Jesus, remind us that our Heavenly Father sees us differently because of You. He treats us as if we lived Your life. May that be the source of our joy this Christmas. You are our only exaltation. You are our fullness. You are our sustenance. Even if we were to lose all we have, in You we have all we need. Jesus, we praise You, worship You, honor You, rejoice in You now. For Your glory alone. Amen.